Angela Davis, one of the Black Panthers. She said, I'm no longer accepting the things I cannot change. I'm changing the things I cannot accept. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Call Her Madam podcast. Hello. I just want to say before, Bella, like before we get started into like the entire podcast that we could have not chosen a better intro. Like I personally completely love it because like when we first met, like, you know, we wanted, we knew what we wanted to do a podcast about empowering women and female voices, but we didn't really know what direction to take it in. And like, after we like went to like a four hour phone call, um, (laughs) we kind of realized that, you know, we wanted to have this podcast be be like an educational um, platform for individuals about like various political and societal topics, you know, but at the same time, giving minority um, individuals and non-conforming individuals a platform to speak and make their stories and experiences known to the entire world, while still advocating, you know, that we do need more female representation within all political and societal like sectors. Right, I totally agree. And I just think it's really funny, like we met um, our freshman year of college through my boyfriend, you were in his econ class, you know, best thing that has happened to both of us, that econ class for you, my boyfriend for me, <laughs> so that we can meet each other. Um, but, you know, we do come from a lot of the same background. We met um, in college, I go to George Mason, you go to George Washington, but we're both from South Florida and being from South Florida is so incredibly unique. And I think that that's really shaped a lot of our activism in general. Um, I know personally for me, like, as you know, Florida is like really red, but um, you know, that's for a lot of different reasons. But for us, very red. Yes. <laughs> it's hard talking about things like this, um, sometimes in Florida in certain areas or wearing a Bernie shirt even, it's just kind of like you're an outball. And I think for me, I had kind of grown up you know, so sheltered from the idea of being a Democrat or the idea of just like having my own voice or opinions when it comes to healthcare or immigration or gun violence and things like that. And so for me personally, I was super apolitical all of college, I mean, all of high school, all of like my whole life, um, because my family was constantly talking about, you know, how Democrats are just they just turn into communists because that's where they came from. They're Cuban. And so they, you know, when you're younger, you know all about the communist dictatorship in Cuba before you can even read sometimes. And you know why your parents and your grandparents came and the signs of the dictate of a dictator and things like that. And so I always thought, you know what, like, oh, I just, you know, value what my parents say. They went through, you know, hard times and in another country and they're here because this is the country that's supposed to bring me a better life. But in reality, it really didn't. (laughs) I mean, not that I'm saying I've been through so much that my life is awful, but like, I'm just saying, you know, with what they've expected, it's not um, up to par. The American dream isn't what it used to be or did it even ever. Yes, (laughs) exactly. So for me personally, I mean, when I was in high school, I was homeless for a few months of my life. My, like the rent went up in our apartment and my mom couldn't afford it and we couldn't find a new place. So, you know, I was homeless and it was just really hard being in high school. And, you know, your friends are like, oh, like, can I come over? And you're like, eh, (laughs) like what, (laughs) where? (laughs) Um, You know, it's really awkward just going. And for me, it was like, homelessness has so many different faces. I mean, I think a lot of times people just think of a homeless person, they think of someone on the street and it's not completely accurate. Like for me, I was going from hotel to hotel, um, my mom's friend's house. My mom 
lived in her office for a little bit and I tried to stay with my dad. So it was just like, I never lived with my dad before in my life. So that was like really weird for me. So it was like a lot of different adjusting and, you know, the teachers didn't really know what was going on at my school. Like no one really knew. And it was just something I kept to myself because I generally just felt embarrassed, you know, like when my friends would drop me off, I would be like, I would make excuses like, oh, I'm just, you know, getting dropped off here for this, you know, things like that. Because it's just like not something that is considered normal, um, especially at that age. And then, you know, I never really had healthcare growing up as well. So it's like going to the doctors, like, do you really need to go? <laughs> you know, you just have to wait until you really need to go. Um, and that kind of stuff. But my mom would also try to always like, help, like take me, you know, to get those regular checkups because like that is very important. Um, so she worked so hard to, you know, make my life as normal as possible and not make me feel like, you know, we were living with financial insecurity at times and things like that. So I'm so grateful for my mom. But, you know, my senior year of high school, uh, the Parkland shooting happened. And, you know, that's really close to where we're from. Yeah. So that really hit home, especially in Broward County. Um, when I was a little kid, I lived in Parkland for a few years of my life, went to elementary school there. My sister went to MSD as well. So it was so weird for me. Like that was a place I used to drop her off at school. And like those kids there were the ones I used to play with at recess and did soccer with and things like that. And now if I look back in a yearbook, they're dead. And that's like really insane to me. Um, and that it just happened so close to home. So I guess I was so inspired by Gen Z um, my senior year when I saw us all walk out. And I will never forget like everyone in the gathering in the courtyard of my high school yelling like, we want change, we want change. And then we just bust out through the doors and we walked all straight down Pines Boulevard, which is like, pretty far <laughs> um some people made it to the city center some didn't um but we all you know just walked out and it was incredible seeing us chant and it was like I really never thought that especially the people from my high school were capable I guess of doing this because we never had something like this happen to us before so when it did it was like incredibly inspiring to see us all come together and that's what inspired me to become I guess like an activist um especially in college so now I'm studying government international politics and I work for March for Lives. I'm the federal policy associate. I'm on the Team Enough Executive Council, and I was the Florida Relational Organizer for United We Dream Action in this past election. So yeah, I mean, I know you have a lot of similar things to me, so go ahead. Tell me about you. <laughs> tell everyone about you. <laughs> um, no, yeah, so like I have like a similar experience. Um, you know, I do think it's important, like we all have our very different backgrounds that really turned our eyes into politics. Um, mine specifically being like I was born and raised in Venezuela. Um, I kind of, you know, I would, I was six years old, like I would have in Venezuela, like at, even at that time, there was no middle class, right? You were either like super poor or you were like millionaire with like private jets, chefs in your house. I was also going to school with kids who I could actually afford the school, which was insane to me right. because like I would go over kind of people's houses and it'd be like, oh, do you want like, at this time I was seven years old and I was like, do you want my chef to make a sushi before we go home? Like, do you want my chauffeur to pick us up like here? Do you want to go to the mall first? And like, at this time, like Venezuela was really insecure. So just saying you're going to a mall is like kind of like a life or death risk at that point, specifically being so young. But like, they weren't worried because then they had like security guards like for each child or like each family, which to me was like insane. I was like fortunate enough to go to the school and like being surrounded by such wealthy individuals kind of was like, took me a step back and I kind of started to doubt like kind of started to get like more imposter syndrome of like being seven years old I started to like ask my mom like why am I there like 
why are we making this like sacrifice for me to go there? Like, I don't fit in there. Like I'm not part of like that world. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, when we moved to the US, we moved to Weston, which is a very Venezuelan area. It's literally called Weston Escuela. And I was very, <laughs> yeah, literally. Um, and so the area within itself, like, you know, there's a lot of like socialist rhetoric um, used by politicians, used even by like Venezuelans, like, you know, democratic party is bad. And growing up, my parents would obviously always talk about politics at the dinner table, both of them being lawyers in Venezuela, um, obviously no longer being able to practice in the U.S. And so kind of, you know, do like in the dinner tables, like they would talk about it and I would be aware of it. And, you know, I was fed into this rhetoric of like, oh, my God, yes, socialism, communism, it's bad. But I really didn't know much about it. So like, I didn't really educate myself because I always, you know, at a young age, I took what my parents said as like the holy grail kind of thing. Um, and now it's like, you know my senior year of high school, when the 2016 elections really came around, I became more immersed in politics because I was always a very outspoken person. Like, you know, somebody got bullied in my school. I was always going to be, you know, I was not, not that I wasn't going to let it, ha- like, obviously I wasn't going to let it happen, but I'm also like, I hate to say, it, but I was a tattletale, right? I wasn't going to let a girl eat lunch by herself because, you know, she posted something weird on Instagram or like people were bullying somebody on Twitter, even in high school. And, you know, I did call people out on it. I did get in trouble with like, you know, I was always facing backlash by like the quote unquote, like in Venezuelan crowd. Cause like, I would always like stand up to like, they're either racist rhetoric or like, they're kind of just messed up rhetoric against like people. Cause they didn't fit into like their same strophe. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, like when I started hearing like a presidential candidate who then would become president, like president elect and then president talk like, Oh, let's grab women by the pussy. Like, let's do all this stuff. I'm like, hold up, we're worried about her emails, like literally sending a singular email and him, he's allowed to say all this stuff about women. Like it doesn't matter and people are going to vote for him. Like, why are we like seeing women as commodities? Like, why is it okay? Like, why are we placing this value in women? Like, you know, even into the rhetoric of like rape, like, right. It's like, oh, she let herself get raped. Right. Or like only like abortions only allowed because if it's like a rape or like incest, but why is it that, you know, we have to let women's bodies get like objectified and it's only okay when the, like someone takes advantage of it for them to act on like a desire and like appeal their own body and like have the right to control it. And yeah. in that sense, it's kind of like, that's kind of like what brought me into more of like female empowerment and like leading with kind of my organization at GW, like I co-created it. I co- was one of the four co-founding members. Um, and it's called Leading Women of Tomorrow. And it's looking to increase female representation in the public field, where we're actually then like turning to increase female representation in all areas of society. And in that sense, kind of, I fell in love with the org, with the org and with the mission. And I'm actually now the director of chapter programming on the national board. And, you know, at the same time, kind of seeing all these kind of inequalities that are taking place throughout Venezuela, like I would want to get Nutella. Like I love chocolate, Bella, you know this. I love Nutella. <laughs> I could die for it. The first and time we out, we got gelato. And literally. And I got Nutella gelato. Like that's, that's just who I am. And in that sense, like, you know, I would cry to my mom. Like I want Nutella and there's one, Venezuela, there was no way we could afford it because inflation was so high. And then two, like there was no way we could even try to get it right? Because it was like, there was no food in the country, but then I would go to my rich friend's house and like they'd have like the Italian brought Nutella, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, you know, I had to like, as a young age, I had to learn even how to make my own Nutella with like chestnuts and like, even like with all, I even tried almond Nutella, which I don't recommend making or even trying to make because it's very messy. But in that sense, you know, 
it brought me to like the inequalities of like economic inequalities or based in Venezuela. And I, when I moved here, I was like, oh, like this isn't going to happen in the U.S., right? It's not the thing. Like American dream, like my parents were like, you know, in America, there's a land of opportunities. You can do whatever you want, right? And I'm like, essentially, yes, it's true. It is a land of opportunities, but it's only a land of opportunities for white people. The American dream is only for white people. Kind right. of like social, like moving up social economic, like socially economically, like that's only for white people, right? Like as a minority individual, you have to try three, four, five times harder to either move up, even like getting a promotion in your job, getting an internship even, because it then goes on to like what connections you have, right? Who right. you know, who can recommend you and all of these things like, you know, coming from a very Venezuelan Republican area, going to DC, I didn't like my parents, like not even, you know, no, none of us being really American, none of us really knew people, mm-hmm. right? None of us had these, all these connections where like kids that I go to school is, with, or like my, like literally my grand, my grandfather's best friend was Joe Biden. Like they went to high uh, college together. And I'm like, my yeah. grandfather's like best friend is, I don't even know because like, I never even like, yeah, it's like, I can tell you like my mom's best friend in Venezuela, like right. that means nothing here. And so kind of in that idea, I was like, you know, it's not equal. And it was until like, I wasn't really educated in the topic, but I was aware of it. Right. Mm-hmm. So kind of that awareness with the 2016 campaign led me to become more of a political science major. And I was completely, I was like, IA, like human rights law, like 100%. But I got introduced to criminal justice through my class. That I actually didn't even want to take. It was just like the last one available. And it was the um, African-American politics and the, um, the oppression of African-Americans from the Jackson and Trump administration. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like these classes combined. And I got introduced to um, Michelle Alexander. I got introduced to Foucault. I got introduced to kind of the concept of mass incarceration, the 1994 crime bill, kind of the war on drugs. And, you know, because I got this education, I was like, wait a second. Like, no, 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 no. Like, we're supposed to be a country that sees people equally. Like, why are we, you know, why are we arresting minorities, individuals, specifically black individuals, three uh, three times the rate of a white individual, even with like minor misdemeanor offenses? Why is there more police presence in minority communities? You know, why is like, there's such this like discrepancy within our criminal justice system. That's, but then I kind of came to learn that our criminal justice system was made to hurt minority individuals and to kind of appeal the society, like the white society purity idea. And that led me to more become involved within my school as a research assistant and start to do research kind of with, so I'm working now alongside MPD um, DC's MPD and with juvenile, um, recently released juveniles. And within that, we're actually making a program that's going to help juveniles re- kind of apply for higher education to kind of apply to apply for jobs, what schools they should be applying for if they want to get higher education that are not even going to ask them about their criminal record, you know, mm-hmm. and how to go by doing that or even funding education because a lot of people, you know, get deterred from education because they can't get $60,000, $70,000 to pay for like one year. Yeah. Um, and so we started doing that. When at the same time, the second part of the project is that we're looking at past record court records from the District of Columbia, and we're seeing if judges have shown potential bias in kind of sentencing juveniles and how to go potentially by addressing that, you know, how to hold these judges accountable for that. And so in that sense, I'm kind of, you know, I was, I was, everything that I saw at home was very, you know, Republican socialism is bad. My parents and even my uncles are like, my uncles and aunts are very Republican. And because of what I learned in school, you know, I was able to teach my parents more in like the democratic stance on certain issues. Obviously, protos pro-life is being Catholic is also still very conflicting in my house. Yeah. Um, but in that sense, you know, I was beca- able to get more educated and I was beca- able to become more 
kind of politically inclined. And again, like this is what we want this platform to be. We want people to get more educated on sort of issues, even if you think like, you know, you shouldn't have, like you told me, for example, like you became more of like an activist because of like, because your boyfriend challenged your opinions yeah. and he made you aware of them. And that's exactly what we want this to be essentially, because we want this to be an area where, you know, you, you have your own voice, you have to use your own voice, right? Just because you think your voice doesn't matter that's not true. Your voice is, was, you have a voice for a reason and society wants to hear it. Exactly. Exactly. So we kind of just wanted kind of, again, like this area to be that and like a comfortable area for you to learn and be like, you know, everything we say obviously may not apply, may not be with your beliefs, but <coughs> sorry, my air conditioning at home is like very cold and it's hot outside and it's just my, so, my sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just Laura things. But yeah. Um, yeah. I agree. Like it, it really matters. So like, I always think people, people think that being an activist, you have to have like over 10,000 followers or be like a cloudivist or that you have to constantly be posting things and things like that. And that's not true. I think people are activists in their own um, areas in their own communities. And it doesn't matter how many followers you have. Like if you have a hundred, 500, 2000, who cares? Like that's your community. These are people, you know, those are your friends, your family. And obviously they're going to listen to you more because you know them personally. And, um, you know, like you're saying like, Hey, I noticed this in my community, we should change this. And then people will kind of be like, wow, really? And so like, these are, that's the most important thing. And, and the really big aspect of activism is reaching out to your own network, your own community, changing those minds, educating those people, having these tough conversations. I mean, like when Black Lives Matter, um, you know, took off again after George Floyd, you know, very prominently and, and these protests are still happening. Um, a lot of people have so much racism in their own communities and those who understand the problem, you know, it is your responsibility to also talk to the people in your own community and call them out on their, on their racism and, and, and educate them on um, how to be a better ally and things like that. And, you know, when it comes to gun violence or any gun violence in your own community, if you understand the, the issue, if you understand the problem, the solutions, but, you know, maybe your neighbor doesn't and they vote for, you know, the opposite of what you think would help the gun violence issue, then you should have that conversation with them and, and try to educate. And obviously it's very hard. We're in a very polarized political climate, but the more people talk, the better, um, you know, the better we can have these conversations and just like um, talk about it and, and realize what's wrong. And, and sometimes things don't even like occur to you until someone talks to you about it. Like, like Ale was saying, my boyfriend and I, um, when we first met, like he would ask me like, cause he's very liberal and comes from a Canadian family. So, you know, like that's very normal for him and his family. And he'd ask me about my opinions on healthcare and immigration and things like that. And that's when I was very in the same mind as like, my parents, like, oh, I just listened to my parents. Like you said, the holy grail of what they said. And, you know, like, and and I thought that that was enough. But then I was like, wow, he's actually asking my opinion on these things. Like I should really know more. And then, you know, I started educating myself, watching videos, things like that, um, reading, and then going to college has changed out completely. But basically this podcast is exactly that. You know, we want to give um, a platform to people that we know and other people in general who are educated on these topics or experts or have been um, through these situations and let them tell them their story, let them speak to their experience because that's reality, you know? And um, it's completely unbiased, it's raw, it's not skewed in any direction. We're not trying to 
um, convince people to be one way or another. We're just letting people talk and talk about how they feel or what they've seen and what they think should change. And so we want this podcast to really just be kind of like, not a microphone, but a megaphone, you know, not, we're not giving a voice to people. We're just letting people use their own voice that they've always had. And so um, what our plan is, is we're going to have like a series, a different series. So maybe one time we'll have a series on climate degradation. Another time we'll have a series on mass incarceration or getting more women elected into office and things like that. And with that, we will have like an episode that kind of just educates and then another episode that has people speaking on the topic. And that's kind of our plan for this podcast in general. Yeah, and like, but I think that you said was something really important because this podcast is essentially going to make people uncomfortable, right? There's going to be people that are definitely 100% do not agree with what we're saying or with our political views or with our social views. And, you know, a lot of the, we, like, again, it's important to acknowledge that a lot of people just in general society you don't have, like Bella said, you don't have to be an activist in order, you know, like you don't have to have like that 2000 followers to be an activist. Right. And that's really important because activism can like, doesn't mean only federal level. Right. It can be the small thing of like, you're not even like elected officials. It can be like your small thing of not getting a construction in an area, changing your schools, recycle, like getting your school to start to recycle. It can be anything small. That's essentially going to get a positive effect in your society. And that's what I think a lot of people especially now I don't really realize because they just think, you know, I don't have a platform to kind of, that was also my idea, right? Like I don't have a platform to tell my followers like to vote for Joe Biden or to kind of empower women or to believe that coronavirus is real because I only had like less than a thousand, like around a thousand followers on Instagram. So I was like, you know, there's no platform there, but you know, again, like after being a criminal justice major in political science, I saw that relationship between the discrepancies between both systems and I was able, I was like, you know what? I don't care if people think I'm whack. I don't care if people, you know, backlash against me and are like, no, like you were wrong. For example, I had somebody say Trump didn't get impeached. Literally someone commented on my story, wow. like Trump was never, impe- I know. And they proceeded to send me like wiki links saying how Trump wasn't impeached because he wasn't removed from office. And then I proceeded, I can proceed to have a conversation with them about it and educate them. Right. And you don't, think really you're going to have that effect on people, but you know, you end up educating people and then they end up educating your community. Like kind of essentially to me, activism is spreading the message about a specific issue that's important to you and getting other people to care about it. Right. Because a lot of people like, like even me, like I believe in climate change, but our governor doesn't believe in climate change. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's getting to sit down, for example, with like other officials and being like, this is why you should care about climate change or even within Florida communities. Like this is why you should care. This is how your community is going to get affected if Florida goes underwater or if climate change worsens. Right. And having those tough conversations, I being, I feel like kind of in this series specifically, like we do want to talk about Gen Z activism. So especially through the COVID-19 like pandemic like era of our lives. And it's kind of like, we're in an awkward stance where it's like, we want to be activists, but we also like can't go out much, right? Because we do have like, I care for other human being lives and we don't want to, you know, spread the infection of COVID-19. But at the same time, you know, how do you go by using your platforms? And, you know, even if you don't have a big one, how to possibly grow, like grow your platform and get other people to care about it. And I think that's really important because once you kind of become involved in an issue and you, you know, you always have this care for you start spreading awareness, you're going to realize that other people care about it too. Mm-hmm. Like I came out like, you know, and I was like, I care about women's representation. I care about, you know, 
like removing qualified immunity or like decreasing the implementation like implications i care about the more 2020 bill introduced or the three to one bill introduced by a florida representative and with that i you know put it up even on my stories i'm a private like instagram like my account is private right and so it's like only those people are going to see it and i was able to see like this person likes my idea. This person supports this idea. And I was able to kind of form that community of like, I always know people are going to support me. And I always know people are not going to support me. Exactly. And, you know, I even sit down at dinner tables with my family and they're like, my mom's kicking me under the table not to start talking anything that can be like, quote unquote, to her controversial and bring in politics or like Trump, <laughs> Biden. Even like Black Lives Matter is like an issue at my table because my grandmother will start saying oh like the load like loitering and like loitering sorry I can't pronounce the word for some reason (laughs) is really bad and I'm like you speak like four languages or three languages I don't even know so you're fine yeah four four languages (laughs) yeah but it's like that's kind of this issue that's like you know there's this negative especially being kind of like Hispanic there's this negative rhetoric of you have to tie to your like family's ideals right like me being a democrat was like in a way turning away from what my family expected of me right like my uncle always says the more educated you get the more republican wait till you start working and i'm like sir if you read anything like you know the more educated people are democrats but let's just leave it at that right there (laughs) it's kind of like you know i'm not kidding i've my mom's like kicked me kicked my shit under the table because my grandma's made some comment that just triggers me and i'm like ready to go because i do not say back and i'm like ready to go off at her and then i'm like no and she's like giving me like the death stare like i'm literally gonna like literally yell at you once we get home kind of look and i'm like mm, literally just eating like trying to fit as much food as i can so like i can't spit it all out and talk no, literally. Especially, I think, during COVID, it's been so hard for me, like, going home, having to be home for a while, and then, you know, talking to your Republican family at the table as Black Lives Matter is happening, and you see stories like Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd, and, and these are, like, and then you hear the crazy, weird conspiracy theories that some Republicans come up with, and then you know like someone from your family saying it and you're like you need to stop listening to that (laughs) and I think a lot of it has to do with also just in general like we are lucky being Gen Z that we grew up with the internet but we also learned a lot in school how to synthesize and tell when articles are fake and a lot of our family members are getting their news from like WhatsApp and Facebook and it's it's so bad. Trump's Twitter too. (laughs) Yes Trump's Twitter so it's like they don't realize how to um, navigate the internet and what is mm-hmm. good news and what's like not. And that's a, a big conflict that we're seeing here as well. And I think that there needs to be more like um, more activism, I guess, in, in helping people understand how to synthesize yep. a lot of information. And, and it's little things like that, but there's so many things that are wrong <laughs> with this society and so many ways that Gen Z has already saved us and is continuing to save us, which is insane because we're so young, we shouldn't have to, but here we are. Um, we have like our society, like literally the future of our society basically on our backs. And if we want to yeah. help it anyway, we have to just start now because by the pace we're going, we're just going downhill. Exactly. I mean, yeah, especially with Florida, like you said, Ron DeSantis, like he doesn't care about climate change. And I mm-hmm. came home like, and, uh, like two weeks ago, there was a huge storm and I saw a giant, like it looked like a lake where there used to be just. Yeah where there used to be just grass so I was like is there a lake there's like a lake in my backyard and like the water went up and it was like up to so we have a gate and a pool and the lake was always 
12 feet from my like literally just a fence because for alligator reasons like you have to have at least like a certain distance the lake went up and it was like touching my face like coming into my property and usually like there's this huge distance and it lasted for about I think it was like two weeks and all the roads were flooded like Weston is kind of like DC it's like a very kind of swampy area Mm -hmm. um so like the waters and like uh, the water system gets like flooded really easily when there's like a lot of rain storming and so the water essentially was just like if you go down like our main road, Weston Road, um, Drake also wrote a song about it, but if you go down Weston Road, it was completely flooded, like insane, like cars couldn't get by. And, you know, we have a governor who doesn't believe that's a thing, that they, who literally thinks that climate change is part of the earth cycle and the earth warms and gets colder like every couple of years. And that just happens naturally. Like look at the ice age. And then he says that on news on like social media and then constituents believe that. And they're like, climate change isn't real like I can use as much like you know big corporations like don't really have this huge effect like I could be using you know as much of like energy whatever I want because it's not a thing it just happens normally especially Florida being like I think statistics say that by 2030 we're gonna be half underwater and then 2050 fully underwater and I'm just like do you not care about like the impacts that this could have on your community and like you're not even having a home in the future exactly exactly and it's hard even with uh, coronavirus, Ron DeSantis has been awful with that as well. I mean, I heard that masks mm. aren't technically mandated in Florida anymore. Nope. Only in business, only in, in like in businesses if you have a kitchen. Oh my Where God. my mom went to Hialeah to pick up food for Thanksgiving, and they weren't even wearing masks in the kitchen. She's like, I was so close to calling the CDC. I literally <laughs> like got the phone and I was like, excuse, I like called the police department, like Hialeah's police department. I was like, excuse me, I was just at this location. They are not wearing masks. I don't know what happened. I made the call. Um, but cases are going up. Like, here's what it shocks me is that cases are going up more than they were when we were quarantined. People yeah. never left their house, order food. Those, they had lower cases than what we have now. And now you see college students also like going out partying and it's like, they That's don't have regard for like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I met with my friends, well, I FaceTimed my friends yesterday and we were talking about one of them goes to the university of Florida and they're saying people in the university of Florida. Get, want to get exposed to COVID so they're immune to it and can go out. So like, if one of their roommates gets it, exactly. Like what, that doesn't make sense to me. Like you're going home to your mom and like you want to get COVID. It just, it, oh, it baffles me really. Another thing about Florida is that, you know, like I said, it's a lot of really awful education mm-hmm. and, you know, a lot of people just listening to what their parents have always told them and not really challenging the status quo, I guess. But also, you know, like people are like, oh, Florida in this last election turned red. But Ron DeSantis has worked very hard for voter suppression in Florida as well. So we have to, you know, realize that because mm-hmm. it's not only um, Floridians' fault. I think we have good people here, but we also have terrible leadership and terrible leadership that continues to force like, these bad policies and awful rhetoric you know we just need to work and that's why I mean I'm pledging to work hard for my state you know I grew up here I know the stakes I know what's wrong I know the solutions I I can help and that's what I want to focus on as well and I think you feel the same too because it's like Florida's not just you know a helpless state you know we yeah we can do it (laughs) we can do it in the next like (laughs) Broward County's blue like Broward County is usually like a swing district it's a very important district and it was blue this year yeah. And I think it's also important because, you know, you said you brought the point of voter suppression. And if we see Georgia, for example, as like the perfect example, mm-hmm. people were baffled that like Georgia turned blue. But Florida, like Georgia didn't 
turned blue because there were like literally just more people believing Biden. Georgia turned blue because more black women like literally renounced voter suppression. We're like, I'm not going to care about it. I'm going to do the seven hour line to go vote. And they stood in that line. But if you go to districts, more wealthier districts, there's no seven hour wait line. Like when I went to vote, like literally my district, my school, like it was 20 minutes in and out. My friend went to go to Miami six hours and a half in line. Right. Like how is that even possible? Like people are like bringing, it's like acknowledging voter suppression. And it's just the idea of like, for how you said, like the sound is, like he did such a, like, I hate to say this, but he did such a great job at furthering voter suppression to his own benefit that it is completely disgusting. Like, let's be realistic. Majority of the reason why he did win was because even as him being governor, it was because voter suppression, right? Mm -hmm. Like he was really able to like further his belief of like certain people shouldn't vote specifically like with for just passing the new amendment of like recently uh um released like criminals being able to vote and like with that you know when you have a criminal record you're not allowed to vote florida passed an amendment that kind of removed like sorry he like kind of removed that tactic and was like you are able to vote then ron DeSantis was like nope we're gonna do a tax essentially a poll tax and that's when um Oh my god, I forgot his name. But that's when like a, an old like, Democratic candidate came up and was like, "I'm going to pay every single kind of quote unquote poll tax that every person has to pay, so they can go out and vote." And he paid more than twenty million dollars for them for every criminal, like like ex felon more specifically, to right. go out and vote. And I think that's so important because people don't even think about that. They're like, "I have an ID, I have a passport, I'm good." But how much does an ID cost? How much does a passport cost? How much does the new ID cost that is now required to go vote? Right. Like some people can't don't know where the next meal is coming from, cannot afford a new ID and then don't care. You know, they're like, I d- I'm not going to pay seventy dollars to go vote. Right. Like that is not OK in this current society. If we have free and fair elections for everybody, like they're not free and they're not fair. Exactly. Especially people don't want to vote for a system they think is actively against them. You know, exactly. We you know we have systems that are actively working against minorities in mm-hmm. and profit for white people and so it's so exactly. hard for people to want to believe in or change that system when they think it doesn't even matter if yeah. they vote. so yeah that, she just you know. said oh sorry <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah go ahead no I was gonna say you said a for profit for white people and that actually brought to mind the movie that I was telling you about before um it's called I recommend to everybody it's called sorry to bother you I believe it's on Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime um and it is a movie that essentially says that in order for minority and black individuals to benefit off society they're, they have to essentially enable, like, become a white person. Like, the main character, had, in, he was, like, a telecommunicator. And in order to benefit off it, in order to be productive at his job, he had to have a white voice. Like, that is what our current, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, it's a film that doesn't happen. But that's what our society is, right? Yeah. Like, law, being a criminal justice major, I was introduced to this, specifically in, like, my race and crime class. And it's, like, in order to kind of, it, the entirety of our criminal justice system was based off in order to further like white purity, right? Like whatever bothers the white eye, that is not okay, right? For example, like lynching became outlawed specifically, well, in certain, you know, in certain southern states, specifically and northern states at the time when it first did, because it bothered, you know, white people were like, oh, that's really gruesome. I don't want to see it, right? That's when it became outlawed. It didn't become outlawed because it was like a human life being killed. No, it became outlawed because white people were just uncomfortable by it. And that is, you know, that it kind of, if that's not a better depiction of what our current criminal and social systems look like, of it, you know, upheaving and like putting white individuals in this like supremacy state of like everything they do is kind of 
the basis for every other kind of community, then, you know, that's institutionalized within our entire criminal justice and social system. And that's exactly what Gen Z is kind of, you know, that's messed up. We need to fix that. And it's that hard conversation with like exactly. older individuals, right? Like more going into like quote unquote boomers, like, you know, that's a conversation of like changing their mind and their viewpoint. And yeah. it's uncomfortable. It's hard, right? Specifically looking at your representation, it's like they're all majority of them, right? Are like white males, right? Who are old, on the older strove. Like they are in their 60s, mm-hmm. they are in their 70s, and they have this mentality. But even if you look at the people who they're actually like as staff members, right? Like we also need more representation within staff members because staff members tend to be predominantly white males, right? Where are your Hispanic, uh, where are your Hispanic, your blacks, your, um, you know, your Asian Pacific, where is like the diversity within there? Because staff members are the ones that essentially draft laws for the congressman. They're the ones that change the congressman's or women's position on a bill or like, on an issue. And if we don't have more representation, that's never going to get done, right? Exactly. And it's bringing that awareness. The idea for this podcast. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And that's why it's called Call Her Madam, because we want to get, you know, a lot more women involved in office at all levels. And um, so that's like a big focus for us as well. Mm -hmm. And also just the respect that comes with being called Madam. Now we have a Madam Vice President. (laughs) So that's really exciting. But um, yeah, so that's kind of like the awareness we want to push. And that being said, we want to invite you to our next podcast with, we're hoping to have two Gen Z activists and we're gonna talk about how COVID has affected activism and how you know they plan to continue their activism that's been going on for so long and didn't start because of Trump, you know, and how they plan to hold Joe Biden accountable, what they wanna see done with their specific um, like interests and, and, and activism work entails and and things like that so we hope that you join us next week for that um but it's been great talking ale do you have anything else to say follow us at all social medias yeah. um yeah and if you want to be on the podcast or you know you have any opinions that you want to voice or you want you want somebody to talk to you about your opinions please feel free to dm the account email us we are more than here to hear you out and like make people know your story and your voice exactly Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. Have a great whatever it is for you, day, night. Who knows? <laughs> Bye. And I said, Mom, I am a rich man. You know, it's like I don't have to marry one. Um.